When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, hey, everybody. I'm Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. Jake and I took a week off last week. And in that seven to 10 days, like there has been like just massive, massive um, nuclear explosions going on in hip hop. Uh, I would say the superpowers are active. What would you say? Yeah, man, no one wants us to have a time off, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, between you got a Kendrick Lamar verse, the first in damn near two years. You've got a Drake album, a Kanye album, which we've, you know, been preparing ourselves, I think, as fans, but also as, you know, cultural stakeholders for at least six weeks. But I mean, longer in the grand scheme. And then if that wasn't enough, uh, an Andre three thousand verse man it's crazy man it's crazy uh i, I want to start real quick with the, the kendrick verse uh so you and i i mean there's been speculation about kendrick music now for two plus years it's been four years and change since he released damn um there was some activity a couple of months ago where top dog released or sent a tweet saying the wait is over o-v-a-h and it had Four exclamation points, I believe, on the the IG and five on the tweet. Uh, I was reading into that, um, you know, and then Isaiah Rashad's album came. Good album. Really good album. I I enjoy it. Um, The more I play it, the more I enjoy it. Same. I think everybody thought Kendrick was coming. And so now we finally get this Kendrick verse and not only the verse, but a video uh, it's a feature on actually it's interesting because the credits is, 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 as I read them were Baby Keem and Kendrick Lamar, not featuring Kendrick Lamar uh, from a song called Family Ties. Uh, supposedly the album is called Family Ties as well. Baby Keem's album. One, I'm wondering, do you think that it's possible that it could be a an album between the two of them? Well, so what I had heard, too, not to correct you, because you may have heard more recent feed than I have, but I had heard that Baby Keem's album is called, I believe, Retro Blue. Is that all right? Um, okay. Yeah. yeah, but I did pay close attention to what you just said. And, you know, we're living in the era of, of you know, the post Watch the Throne era where collab albums happen. Sometimes they happen on the fly. Um, you know, I could totally, you mentioned it in our last podcast for years, you know, J. Cole and Kendrick dangled the idea of a collaborative album something that i don't think we'll ever see but it would make sense um you know for a generation gap you know kendrick thinking crazy out the box you know pg lang you know coming out swinging with that type of uh you know a scenario and i think that would be really interesting because as i said to you and you know on our our texts that uh family ties you know i was cold on keem's contributions to the song at first but through multiple listens and especially through the music video, which is something that I feel like I would have said, you know, 20 years ago, it really brought me up to speed on, you know, just how much of a collaboration that is. And it's, it's really come around as one of my favorite songs of the year. And it's not just the Kendrick part that makes it. So, you know, isn't that crazy how that can happen though? Um, 
how a song I, actually I think the best the most complex music often unpacks like that um you know when I first heard damn it took me a you know a few listens to like get into it but once I did like I, I became obsessed with it and same with you on this song you know King's verse was cool and everything um the beat I thought was fire from from the jump uh, but obviously I was there for Kendrick, you know, wanting to unpack his verse. He came very, very strong with it. And we can talk about that in a second. But just like you, man, when I saw the video, it was insane. And shout out to Dave Free, um, you know, of the Little Homies. He and Kendrick have dubbed themselves the Little Homies over the years in their director's credits. Um, often working with Dave Myers, you know, really um, celebrated video director. But I got to say, Dave is, whole, is doing his thing, you know, on his own now. That video is incredible. I'd, I'd say it's probably my favorite video of the year so far. Yeah, the ones I've watched, hands down mine, and, and really, and you and I have said this before, TDE, J. Cole, and Dreamville are right there. But, you know, keeping music videos alive, obviously, they take resources. Um, but to make them as interesting and, and arguably better, given that there's we're no longer, you know, living by... MTV, BET, VH1. Now we can like decode videos. And this one was, was, yeah, it's absolutely video of the year for me. And that doesn't mean that I've seen every video and I continue to just like check that with different artists, but hands down, like that brought me in and, and really, um, yeah, great, great. And shout out to them too. I mean, with, with PG Lang, you know, they've been very cryptic of like, we're a creative agency. And what does that mean? Is that like rock nation was not just a label, but a firm, and when you look at just one song from, you know, it's audio to it's rollout to, you know, what was happening on Instagram, you know, years ago to it's video, you understand why Dave Free and Kendrick and whoever else is involved in PG, why that makes sense. And it's so much bigger than just, oh, yeah, we're a management firm or we're a record label or whatever. Like they made me a wholehearted believer. Yeah, absolutely. And the interesting thing about the video is I think if you really study it, I don't think it's that expensive. You know, mm. it's shot, if if I can recall just off the top of my head, I think three locations. You know, you got the location with Keem. Uh, you got the location with Kendrick, which seems to be like kind of a, a warehouse of sorts. There's a, um, an internal shot with him on the screen. And there's him like, um, you know, kind of like his, it's not a dance. It's almost like a, like a, a stomp or like a, um, touchdown yeah. like a sports thing yeah it's it's he's uh you know stepping he's basically stepping um and uh then there there's a shot of him driving too and i think that all takes place in the same location so i don't think there was a ton of locations but the way it's executed is incredibly creative and then with keem you know he's he's doing this kind of like his walk and then he like disappears into the graphic and comes back like it's super and there's one other there's one other shot too but it, it's super dope man um and also I think it gave context. We did a deep dive on Top Dog Entertainment, uh, you know, being kind of the label of the decade in the, in the 2010s last last episode. And we talked about what and it was spawned by Kendrick announcing that his next album would be his final TDE, TDE album. And we talked about why he may have made the announcement when he did. To me, seeing that video made it clear because, you know, in the video, you know, when Kendrick, you know, is off the screen and actually doing his his step routine, um, it's almost like a war dance. The, the the PG Lang flag is he's flying it right by him, like very, very prominently. And it's very it's almost like 
a declaration of allegiance. And so uh, I think that we have a very good idea where Kendrick's next move is going to be and where his art is going to be released for the foreseeable future after TDE. But, but was that your takeaway? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was kind of like Seawalking or Beewalking too. And he's letting you know that this is his organization. This is the set he's claiming. And, you know, I don't think that it's any, you know, I don't, I don't get the sense that there's any bad blood with TDE. It's just evolution. And, you know, it's interesting to me, like we're going to talk about the Drake album Certified Lover Boy today. And we've gotten, you know, we've gotten so far past the fact of Drake being, you know, a cash money product. But we know that there's family ties there. And we know that presumably, I mean, Wayne's on the album, but Baby and whomever else are just a phone call away. But you step forward. This is about OVO's time. And Drake's had that luxury. I think we're seeing it now with Kendrick and, and PG Lang. And still, you know, I'm, I'm sure that we'll still see Kendrick on TDE projects, especially those from Black Hippie. But everyone has their natural progression. And that's how kind of I interpret it. Yeah, and everything Kendrick does is with intention and intensity, you know, um, often before this to me, he's he's definitely coming back up to the surface, right? This is the second thing we've had from him in two weeks. And it reminds me a lot of how he's rolled out past albums, you know, he's used his hearts, the heart series, um, the heart part three, I think is the last one. And I was thinking the heart part four was coming, which is why I was counting top dogs exclamation points <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on his on his announcement. but. Uh, with this, the lyrics are intense. You know, he, he starts off, I am the Omega. Like, I mean, and then he talks, well, actually, he, he kind of like uh, mutters under his breath, smoking on your top five tonight, tonight. Like, and he makes it clear that he puts himself now as number one. In the past, he's been deferential to Andre 3000, Jay-Z, uh, Eminem. And I can't remember who the fourth was, but he put himself in that class. And now he's saying, nah, I'm the GOAT, period. I'm smoking on your top five. And then when you couple that with the video and the intensity of that, him driving in the car and spitting, like, it, I mean, dude, it's, he's, he's back. He's, he's declared himself back fully. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you and I had a, had a podcast this year where we spoke about the new generation of, you know, Cole and Kendrick and Drake and Travis Scott. And I feel that a lot of what has transpired over the last two weeks is very generational. Um, you know, it's interesting to me that Jay-Z is working with Kanye and Drake on their new albums. But I feel like when Kendrick says that, he, I mean, he means across the board. But what we're seeing right now is very much, um, in my opinion, an arms race amongst a certain class of, of rappers. And I feel that, you know, Kanye kind of has one foot in, in both sides. But I love that. And, and to me, you know, you talk about timing. Um, I think there's a reason why we got family ties when we did it dropped on Friday with the video song and video and boom, by Sunday, we had Kanye West Donda. And I really believe, you know, one of the first serious kind of strategic meetings you and I had was about, you know, it's 2013. And we really discussed that, you know, what hip hop is about is attention. And the conversation we were having was in, in regards to media. And you can get you can get attention fast by doing something that that might not have integrity to the culture. But we're all competing because you can get the same story at, you know, 20 different publications, print and, and digital back then. And now, you know, across across the space and on social media platforms. But what you do and what you do with someone's attention is what's going to decide if they come back. And it's so fascinating to me that in the month of late August, early September, 
we're seeing at least three A-list artists competing for attention in, in real time. And, you know, Keem is on, you know, Kanye's album. And that's a huge introduction. I mean, he's already a platinum artist or gold artist. I, I forget what, um, you know, what his single did. But he's still introducing himself to the mainstream. And I feel that Family Ties was a way to do it on his terms versus as a guest on Donda. I think it's all calculated. And I think that they knew that it was coming. Um, and the fact that you have Kendrick, you know, smoking on your top five, I feel that that played a factor in Donda coming out when it did too. And Donda coming out affects Certified Lover Boy coming out. And he, and he mentioned Kanye in the verse, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't clear that it was a, desist, a diss, but he mentioned it and it seemed like a reference to Kanye moving around a bit, you know? Um, I, I don't think it's a coincidence, like you said, that they released that Friday. And, and the intention, I believe, was to coincide directly with Kanye's album release, you know, Drake, uh, and we're going to get to this in a second. You know, I think Kanye was like trying to coax Drake into releasing on the same day. And Kendrick said, you know, uh, let me let me step into this. But so Kendrick has the appetizer. Um, you know, that's just a sneak preview from him. It's not the main course. Uh, in the meantime, we got some would say like a, a 10 round tasting menu from Kanye uh, <laughs> on Sunday. Um, after two false starts or, or false alarms, you know, he had said he was going to release it and then July and then, then, then August, um, it finally came and with some controversy it was supposed to come on the 27th of August. And instead it came early in the morning on the 29th. Um, and he immediately uh, posted on IG that universal, um, music group that the, his record company had released the album without his permission. And he updated the album um, at least once, maybe more than that. Um, but Donda arrived 27 songs um, over 90 minutes, right? It's almost, it's almost two hours. Yeah. Um, the cheesecake factory menu of albums. Yeah, know? absolutely. Very, very long album. Uh, what was your, what were your general impressions on it? Yeah, I mean, I have never seen an artist do the part two thing like this before. I think we've lived in a time where there have been, you know, and, and California Love comes to mind where you'll have a song and it's remix kind of existing at the same time where they might have different beats. Um, you know, in my mind, traveling back 25 years, I can't remember which I heard first. And there were two different videos you know, there have been other cases like that, you know, Junior Mafia, Get Money, the original and remix, which were both hit records. I've never seen an artist do this with an album where it circles back around and some of the same songs have guests or, or intricacies to them. Um, you know, in, in terms of length, it reminds me a lot of 97. It reminds me a lot of when you had Pac and Biggie and Wu-Tang and Crazy Bone and eight ball um you know he had all these artists that were just you know putting a ton of music out at the same time and honestly like as as as, as i guess surprising as that is it's not my favorite thing um I, i've i'm glad to see a-list artists step out of the you know 21 minute 30 minute album kind of thing that we've been seeing especially over the last four or five years um but this is like you know, totally in the other direction as far as Donda. What about you, though? Yeah, so, you know, 
this is my third the first time i heard the actual official album was my third time hearing most of the music mm-hmm. because I, I i listened to the entire apple music streaming event twice you know the two times we did the it. atlanta one yeah i did the atlanta and i also did um um yeah, he did two in Atlanta, right? Um, he did two. Uh, I believe so. And then yeah, there was. Yeah, he did the two in Atlanta. Then he did the one in Chicago. And, and and we'll get to it in a minute. But he did a secret one or a private one in Vegas. But I listened to the two in Atlanta. Um, and the second one was amazing because it was a full blown production. And it definitely heightened the experience quite a bit. Um, so when I listened to the album the third time, um, you know, the first, I'd say, 10 songs or so, I really thought were dope and recognized and everything. I thought it was a power move to start it off with, with Jail after the Donda chant um, with the Jay-Z verse, um, which he had ended with on one of his listening, the first listening session. Uh, and it was kind of like a mic drop. And the more I heard that song, the more kind of just beautiful it sounds to me, just musically, sonically. But you know, I, I wanted to experience the album as a whole at one time. And it was a struggle, man. It was a real struggle to put, you know, an hour. Let me see. It's an hour. And oh, wait a minute. It's two hours and seven minutes. Now it's 30, 30 songs, two hours and seven minutes. Um, so uh, or actually, I got some um, duplicates here. I think it's, it's um, yeah, but it's it's insane how long it is. And it's taxing, man. Uh, it became very, very uh, challenging to one continue hour and my attention. One at present. One and 48. Okay, yeah. 27 uh, songs. That's part of the problem. And re-downloading it a couple of times. I've got duplicates now, so i got to go back and clean it out. But, you know, that's, that's part of the issues with um, the way that it's been kind of rolled out. But I want to touch on something you talked about before. You said that other artists have done this in the past. So at 28 songs would you call this a double album? Yeah, I mean, I, I would. And that's such a weird term. I mean, you know, obviously on vinyl, most albums become, you know, these days the with 180 gram vinyl double albums and stuff like that. But but by the traditional sense of this, if you go to Best Buy or your mom and pop record store, I would expect to see those old school, you know, double discs, you know, for CDs. I do. What about you? Yeah, two CDs. It's uh... I, I was thinking about the concept because um, I only think, first of all, there are only there are two good rap double albums that have been released. Um, in my opinion, um, it's um, Life After Death and All Eyes on Me. Now, I wasn't a big fan of the Blueprint. I thought that Blueprint Part Two, I should say, um, I thought that that could be condensed into one album. Even with Life After Death and All Eyes on Me. I wouldn't, I think that both of those could have benefited from curate curation, yeah. you know, um, and, you know, you probably could have called probably five or six songs off both of them and made them stronger projects. But on the whole, they're really, really dope um, double albums. Um, and so I think there's a reason why Illmatic is regarded as one of, if not the greatest uh, albums of all time, it's 11 songs and I think like 37 minutes or something like that. Most of the classic albums that you that you see, the ones that are front to back, are concise. You know, um, I'd say 15 songs or less. They're tight projects and they're cohesive and you want to play it all the way through probably each time. So it's surprising to me that 
at this day and age when attention spans have never been shorter that you have not only Kanye, but Drake too, putting out 20 plus song albums, which would have been characterized as double albums in the past. I think it's the same way that it was in the nineties. You know, those albums used to count, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you have more experience, but they, they counted twice. So you could get, you know, 250,000 units moved of all eyes on me. God, it's a diamond. Both all eyes on me and life after death are, are, excuse me, gold are, but both of those albums are diamond certified, which is a much easier feat to achieve with a double album. I mean, and back then, as you and I, you know, very clearly remember, they cost 25 to $30 to buy those. I feel as though right now, um, the way that the streaming platforms are working, the way that every day they are feeding daily mixes and on repeat, and, you know, soon in, in two or three months, they'll send their year end lists. It benefits the artists to have as many tracks as possible and as much streaming consumption as possible and i feel that both with kanye and we'll talk about drake in a second did it artfully i mean i you know i I think there's filler on both cases but i don't think they were sitting there with that guiding force but i do think that as as both of these artists are figuring out their status in 2021 in the rap space in pop culture and music in general they're going to do that. And it's going to kind of create a sense of, of presence. Um, and it, it just, it's, it's a, you know, it's a jet pack onto, you know, just how dominant these artists can be. You think I'm crazy or you agree with that at all? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I'd like to go back and look at the streaming numbers because on the one hand, yes, it is definitely a way to kind of, um, maximize your your impact on on streaming charts and things like that by having as many songs as possible but also ultimately it's about number of plays you know so um even if you have big weeks and we'll talk about that in a second you know so donda uh broke the um single day streaming um number for an album when it was released uh it broke drake's um i think it was views uh, either Views or Scorpion. Um, and then Drake broke that record again uh, just a week later. So clearly, you know, that strategy works. But I wonder, though, over time, is something like that or like a like a like a push a T with a seven song type where you're going to just play it again and again, front to back, gets more spins. Now, obviously, it's not the case for Pusha. He's not the same level of commercial artists as Drake or Kanye. But I wonder if, you know, Drake were like, I guess we could go look at his three packs and stuff like that and see how those, how those fared. But, you know, um, I think that there's something to having some, a, a project that people just play front to back again and again and again. For sure. For sure. And yeah, I think that the repeat listen was definitely a factor in 2018 with those five Kanye projects, none greater to me than Daytona. And now, yeah, I, I just wonder. Um, but yeah, two sprawl. I mean, it's funny how things in, in a three-year, four-year span, the trend is bucked. And now we'll watch. I mean, even West Side Gun's latest album was longer than I anticipated. And he is more prolific than either of the two that we're talking about, especially right now. Um, but I feel like that trend of, of tight, cohesive, you know, concise albums is 
we're, you know, we're headed back to 97, 98 with this for a minute. Yeah, and Guns Project, HWH48, uh, uh, right? Um, it's number eight. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, yeah. That's my, um, that might be my favorite out of the, the, the releases of the last couple of weeks. Um, mm. Yeah, it's number eight. Um, sincerely, A. I'm not even going to just, because, you know, algorithms yeah. and stuff like that, um, I understand yeah, but like I do wish the series would be rebranded at this point. But um, that's one of my favorite gun projects. Um, I think it's really just sonically incredible. He's been a, just a, an amazing run the last like three or four projects. Um, Pray for Paris was that way. Um, Pray for Haiti, which he worked on with Makami is amazing. He's really doing his thing. But so back to Kanye, um, we're not going to do a deep dive on it, but let's just say that he and Drake have been jockeying for quite some time. A lot of people speculate that the reason why Kanye's album was delayed as much as it was, is because he was waiting for Drake to drop his album and looking to drop on the same day. Um, you know, Drake had announced last year that his album was coming. I think it was supposed to come in January. Then it didn't mm-hmm. come in January. And then later on, word broke that it was going to come by the by the end of the summer. And we're now in August, so it had to be coming soon. And I think that Kanye being upset that the album was released on the 29th even indicates to, you know, it could just be his creative process. We, we do know that Kanye is very particular about these things. But I believe that he was wanting to go head to head with Drake. And there were, there were rumors out there that they had back channel conversations and Kanye was trying to organize that. And Drake was pushing back in any case, um, Kanye drops uh, a few days before he dropped his album. Drake appears on a trippy red song called betrayal. And he sends some bars to, uh, you know, uh, where he references guys who are burnt out, who are 45 and 44. Uh, conveniently corresponding to the ages of Pusha T and Kanye West, respectively. Now, most people think that those bars were aimed at, at Pusha and Kanye, including Kanye, because Kanye then responded um, by sending a screenshot of a group text he'd had with Drake, saying he put Drake and Virgil Abloh on a text and was basically like, don't play with me. Um, it'll, you'll regret it. Like, you know, I, 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 you know, I basically like school dudes like you all my life, um, in a, in a threatening kind of way. And then took it to a whole different level by briefly posting Drake's home address with a Google map, like shot of the area, which is crazy. What, what was your reaction when you heard that though? Man, I was like, you know, pretty disappointed. Um, I have to say, I mean, we're spending time talking about it, but just put me in, in a fan, you know, as a, as a media person, I find this interesting because I've spent half my career covering it because of where this stems from of, you know, Pusha T versus Wayne and Birdman. And this is just, you know, this has turned into the days of our lives. Um, it's not been an exciting beef for me in some time. I have to just admit that I just want bars. And honestly, I felt like, Daytona was the album of that year and I felt that immediately after it dropped it went to another place with Drake and Pusha you know releasing disc records and the whole you know um, story of Addy campaign or Adidon whatever it was Um, so when I saw that I was like ah man like here we go again and then the second thing I was I was like damn like 
Kanye is doing this. Kanye had just come off of, at that point, the listening session in Atlanta. I think it was the first one, which you and I spoke about on the podcast. Phenomenal. I mean, just the presentation, the choreography, the, the focus back to music and spectacle without controversy, without, without relying on Kim K, without relying on this or that. And boom, here we are. And then the second thing I thought well, of is there was some controversy though. There was definitely controversy. Um, you know, the, the the fits and starts, he did bring out Kim K. And uh I think even more controversially, uh, as you as you I'm sure you know, on the third one, he brought out the baby and Marilyn, Marilyn Manson. Man. Yeah. This was I mean, before that though, if I'm okay, not mistaken okay. in my timeline. And then the other thing I thought of was this, just a little historical context. Um, and this might sound crazy, but I remember, you know, hip hop 20 years ago, rap music 20 years ago. And I remember Suge Knight doing the exact same thing to Dre and Snoop and how tacky that was. And when we talk about, you know, Death Row's fall from grace of like, man, you really took it there? Like Kanye to go that far. Um, it just seemed really out of character. I know he deleted the post later on, but it just got the word I would use as sloppy. But when you saw, and you and I were not in direct correspondence because we both had taken, you know, time to, to do what we've been doing. What was your initial thought when you saw that kind of spectacle? Yeah, I didn't see it happen real time. Uh, I, I caught wind of it um, shortly after. And, you know, I was like, surely this can't be right. Surely it was just like his area or he shot a picture of the house or something like that. There's no way he revealed the dude's address. But then as I dug into it, I was like, wow, this is insane. Like, um, you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's just reckless and dangerous. Like it, it, it is, I'm not going to say it's like, you know, gunplay because it's not. But I do think that the results could be similar doing something like that. You know, you have a lot of people out there who um, are not necessarily in their right minds who could go to Drake's house and do something to him and his family. John Lennon. Yeah, man. You know, yeah, abs- absolutely. It's, it's not unprecedented. And uh, you're setting someone up for potential danger, physical harm in doing that. So I was shocked and very, very disappointed. And Kanye really ca- kind of appealed to the public two years ago with a sympathy card because of how he interpreted Drake's sicko mode verse of like bust a left, bust a right. And, and literally a gated community in Calabasas, if I understand it correctly. And Kanye's like, no, he's, he's outing me. Like, these subliminals are so specific that it's, it's messing with me. And I'm like, now you do this? Like, that totally negates, like, any sympathy that you conjured for Drake kind of trolling you. And I'm just like, again, this is why, you know, you take a, you take a, a, a situation like Royce versus Mickey Fax. I'm much more engaged in that. I'm much more interested in that but these horses are out of the barn and, and what you're, what we're talking about right now is only the beginning. Yeah. And so the complicated history between Kanye and Drake goes back all the way to 2009. We wrote an in-depth article about this on our site, ambrosiaforheads.com, uh, really kind of creating a timeline. Back in 2009, when they first came out, uh, first came together, they were, there was a lot of mutual respect and admiration, you know, um, Kanye was talking about Drake as being kind of like up next and, and, and being, you know, one to watch and everything. And Drake was talking about Kanye as being one of his biggest influences musically and just how important he was. And it was all love. Kanye to- directs the best I ever have video, which was like Direct- Drake's big 
coming out. You know? Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, in 2010, however, Drake was seen out with Amber Rose a couple of months after Kanye and she had split. And um, apparently Ye was not happy about that. Now, I don't know if that's when it began or if there was friction already and that's what Drake was doing. You know, Drake has now kind of established a reputation for that kind of um, behavior. So um, in any case, after that, their relationship was definitely strained. Uh, there were a lot of like subliminals. There was passive aggressive and aggressive aggressive shots, some on records, some in interviews, um, you know, and it, I think, went to new heights. And you mentioned this before on Infrared, where uh, Kanye had produced that entire album for Pusha T. And one of the songs, um, the, the album was um, uh, Daytona, on, yeah, Daytona and, and the song Infrared was a diss of Drake um, and like scathing, you know, not no Vaseline like, but it was, you know, it definitely had some shots, talked a lot about the ghostwriting and stuff like that. Um, and I think he took some shots at Lil Wayne too. Um, so uh, Drake definitely uh, took offense to that. And he released uh, his own uh, song, Doopy Freestyle, where he went at not only Pusha, but also Kanye. And talked about how, you know, if Push is going to take shots at me for having ghostwriters, look at your man, Kanye, because, I, you know, I've worked on stuff for him and he's had tons of, of writers over the years. So, like, you know, you know, he was basically calling that hypocritical. And at one point he mentioned Push's wife, not in a derogatory way, but just mentioned her name. And after that. Pusha took the gloves off, came back with the story of Adi Don, outed Drake's son, who previously, you know, had not been publicly disclosed that Drake had a child at all, um, um, messed up a deal that Drake had with Adidas that was going to be focused around his son, and uh, got really, really, really personal. Uh, one of the most savage records I've ever heard. Like, I would put it up there with No Vaseline, with Hit Him Up. Like it's it's at that level, super ugly, like where cross the line. Um, and so Drake was allegedly going to come back, but um, Jay Prince tells him to stand down. Uh, he says that he has something that was going to end push his career. And, you know, we don't hear much for another and year. Kanye's, he implies, too. Yeah, we don't hear much for another year or two. But then Drake goes on the shop, LeBron James's show on HBO. And details, you know, the behind the scenes. He says that, you know, before his Scorpion album came out, he had, and before Push's Daytona came out, Drake had been working with Kanye on Kanye's album. They had a song together, like, you know, was playing his, Drake was playing his album for Kanye. And one of the things he played for him was his March 14th song, which is the final song on his album, Scorpion. And lays out the whole story of, um, you know, Drake's son and the relationship he had with his son's mom and how this all came to be. And on top of that, he also told Kanye when Scorpion was coming out, he says, this is all alleged, right? Um, and allegedly, Kanye then did this mad push to release five albums in five weeks, um, 
and one of the dates was squarely on Drake's date that he had disclosed, um, you know, supposedly as the Scorpion release date. So now the bad blood is is um, more than just on records. It's 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 getting super personal. It's adding adding children before time. It's really screwing up money, significant money. Um, and so it's gone to a whole different level. Now, after that, things quiet a little bit until um, this this last two or three weeks where their rivalry has heated up and intensified in a really um, crazy way. So we, we, we set it up, you know, Betrayal came out. Then Donda comes out, although Donde, Don, uh, Kanye had been pushing to have Donda come out um, potentially when Certified Lover Boy comes out. And a week later, uh, this past Friday, Certified Lover Boy drops finally. Um, like we said, 21 songs, 86 minutes long. What were your first thoughts about Certified Lover Boy? You know, coming into it, I looked at the title alone and Drake, as you and I have discussed, and as I've said, is a master, um, true of Kanye, but very true of Drake. He can troll himself. And even that title, I mean, is so un quote unquote hip hop. So I was like, yo, this is really interesting. Is this going to be a straight R and B album? And Drake shows that he has command over a certain audience, or is this going to be a total reverse? And even with this title go completely left and just, drake be full on bars um and then i saw the artwork which i thought was really interesting um and and further kind of ran with that on my first listen it truthfully it it reminded me of thank me later drake um it's drake showing you uh, i'll use the cliche of the season it's drake checking all the boxes of what he can do um but i feel as though Whereas Drake has gotten better with time, in my opinion, and I'll be the first one to tell you that um, Drake, Drake's music I like better in the last five years than I did the previous five. I think that, you know, whereas he's gotten very strong in album making and beat selection, I do believe that this one deviates from that. And I, I think that on my first listen, I, um, I thought it was a tentpole album with a few really strong moments, but a lot of filler in there that, that, you know, and, and I say that in regards to the way that it's sequenced too. It begins and ends very strong. There's a few moments in the middle that, that grab me. But, you know, as we talk about lengths of these albums, there is more than half of this album that I feel could have been resequenced or not there at all. Yo, um, so you and I diverge greatly when it comes to general appreciation for Drake music. Mm-hmm. Yes, you agree with that, right? Yeah, I do. Like I'm, I'm the resident Drake fanboy of AFH and certified uh, Drake. <laughs> not, not gonna say. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I've been a huge fan of Drake's music since so far gone. I mean the mixtape, the, the mm-hmm. actual mixtape. Um, I would definitely put him in my top five of the last ten years in terms of like MCs. Um, you know, I put him behind Kendrick and Cole, but not by much. You know. Um, Cole, at least. Um, so, but I agree with you a hundred percent, you know, and, 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 and the thing is, I believe that Drake has now made effectively the same album at least like four times. What I mean by that is that he's got 
He's got a formula that he sticks to. And it's the same formula every time. So you're going to have, and we're going to get into this, you know, in a minute, but you're going to have your aggressive rap songs where he is taking shots, usually at specific targets. And, you know, um, he gets people decoding, you know, and trying to figure out, you know, who he's talking about. He's going to have some world music on there. He's going to have some, you know, songs with like the hot MCs of the moment. He's going to have some songs with some, um, some, some people likely from overseas that no one's ever heard of, but like who's, who's going to, who's going to be hot. And or he's going to show you the tastemaker. Yeah. Exactly. He's going to have his ballads. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the same kind of like five buckets that he plays with um, every time. And often the sequencing is very similar too. And so I think we can talk about, I think we should talk about it, like kind of frame it that way. But the other thing is that I've been thinking about this for quite some time. We talk a lot about classic albums and criteria. You know, for me, it's, you know, either unskippable or just just a couple of songs that you want to skip. Um, often it's a cohesive theme. There's depth and storytelling to it. There's substance. Um, you know, sonically, it's, it's on point. It's got to have, you know, the whole ball of wax. And there's certain artists we don't, we said we don't think have classic albums or if they do, it's like one that's arguable. So Mm -hmm. Eminem is one of those people. Um, You know, Drake is absolutely one of those people. Um, And and to be clear, you're saying, you know, the, the, the two names you just mentioned could have one. Could have one. I think a lot of people will say the Marshall Mathers LP. The first one is a, a classic for Eminem. But I would challenge them to go back and listen to the entire album, apply that criteria, and tell me if they think there's you know less than two or three songs to skip on the album. You know, I, I think I think it's challenging. Um, even Tupac. Yeah. You know, we, we talk about All Eyes on Me, and um, I'd say that or, or Me Against the World, but even Me Against the World, which is my favorite Pac album has like incredible joints like you know temptations and so many tears and dear mama there's filler there you know what yeah. i mean um and tupac you know is one of my favorite mcs of all time top three for sure you know um so i will put drake in that category and i think with him it's because he by design and we talked about you know the the reason for the length and number of tracks and things like that by design he wants to appeal to as wide a demographic as possible. And I'm not knocking him for that. It's the reason why he's the biggest artist on the planet in any genre, period, bar none. But because of that, I think it makes it incredibly difficult, if not impossible, for him to have an album that's regarded as a perfect album or a classic album by any fan. Because um, very few people like everything that's on pop radio. They'll like two or three genres or whatever it is, but not everything. And his his albums are designed to appeal to every aspect of music out there. So what or at least the hip hop R and B genres. So what do you think about that? No, I mean I hundred percent agree. And I would argue that, you know, in the hip hop rap space, I don't know that there's an artist of contemporary times, and I'd be curious to know your your take historically that has as many significant bases as Drake. 
you know, and I'll, I'll give that addendum. I mean, you know, there were artists that sang and rap great before. I mean, um, you know, Nate Dogg, not really rapping, but I look at a Devin, the dude who could break into melody, even a zero, same town, Pharaoh Monch, you know, on his second solo album, uh, Desire, you know, breaks into melody, you know, years before that was a commonplace word in vocal deliveries and rap. So I was never against that. But one of the reasons why I feel that I was a late adopter to Drake was because he came in on a duality of, you know, I'm going to I'm going to sing at one point. I'm going to do my own choruses, but I can rap. And I felt that in, in many ways, you know, you mentioned So Far Gone, the original mixtape. I loved Fear. I thought that that was a brilliant song, um, not just because he was shouting out Little Brother and Slum Village. But I was like, this guy can rap and he can rap from a vulnerable space which any fan of Tupac, any fan of Ghostface Killer is going to, that's going to resonate with us. Um, but from song to song where it went different places, I struggled with. And now with all that Drake has accomplished, you know, a dozen years later, he has a lot of people to appease. And I thought that he was doing himself a favor one way or very possibly another with the rollout to Certified Loverboy. I thought this might be Drake's R&B album. I mean, just you know, just straight up. I know he gave us a playlist a few years ago that I, I really, you know, liked. And I know that some albums have been more R&B than others. But, you know, this one kind of stays in the center and, and, and reaches out in all directions. And I think you're 100% right that Drake lacks a classic. And I remember in 2016, more than five years ago, when Ambrosia for Heads did the GOAT, you know, we did the Finding the GOAT series. We had done it with MCs. Um, and then we came back in 2016 and we did it with albums. And I remember you and I, and also Amanda Benita Mester, you know, struggling to decide what is Drake's classic album, just in the bracket, you know, even if we're wrong and our readership and, and those out there feel strongly about one, which one is it going to be? Is it going to be nothing was the same? Is it going to be take care? And, you know, we, that was a challenge. And, you know, even in an Eminem case or a Tupac case, I feel that those albums present themselves much more clearly than they do with Drake's catalog. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I thought Scorpion was going to be um, a double because Scorpion was a double album too, right? Wasn't it? Uh, I think it was billed as a double album. Um, it was, yeah, it was billed that way. Yeah. And, and, again, and I, you thought, raised the question. I thought it was going to be um, one, rap, one rap disc yeah. and one R&B disc. You know what I mean? And that, would, to me, would have made a lot of sense. And I, and I actually think that Drake should do that. I think, you know, in order to appease his base and let people know that he's not abandoning them, he should tell people up front what he's going to do. But I think he should then release projects that are fully in each lane, the, you know, the ones I just named off. Like, um, and because he's got the material to do it. He's putting out music constantly. So put out one album that's just for spitters, right? People who want to hear him just bar up and like, you know, be aggressive the whole nine. Put a, another album that's just like singing and ballads. Put another world music joint on there. Put another one that's melodic rap. Like, I think if he were to do that, first of all, it would really distinguish him from everyone and really showcase him incredibly in terms of his diversity. But it also would give him the opportunity to not, not make one, but possibly four classic albums because each one would be cohesive each one would be in their lane they would appeal to the people that are going to appeal to and i have no doubt that he could make really strong you know albums for each of those genres without filler 
that's a challenge that I think he should take on. But the, but the thing of doing the kind of paint by numbers, please everyone project, I think dilutes the, the albums as a whole and it leaves people feeling like you are feeling uh, and that, that I am. And even though I like most of those um, aspects of Drake, you know, it took me a while to get to the singing because I just wanted, but by, by far, I like the rapping part. I like yeah. the, you know, the 7 a.m. on, um, you know, uh, Briar, you know, we'll, we'll get, we'll get into yeah. all the stuff. Um, 4, 4 a.m. in Calabasas. I love, I put together my own Drake playlist, you know, uh, called there more, there's more just with him rapping. Just for like all the haters out there who like talk about him not being able to rap like yourself. <laughs> no, um, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, man. Um, I'm with you, but you you want to get into it? Like, let's. I, I think we cover it, you know, kind of in order, but really by by themes. You know, you want you want to. Yeah. Well, you know that th- that's cool too, and I, I think the appropriate place to start. We're Ambrosia for Heads. This is the What's the Headline podcast. We got to start on bars and. You know, with that, you know, typically when we do reviews, we start, you know, we kind of go chronologically. And, you know, you put it on the AFH playlist, um, which I encourage everyone to subscribe to. But Champagne Poetry was a great place to start. And I mean, Drake and I you made a joke. I I think Drake, especially in the last five years, is a really excellent rapper, Um, you know, commands attention, has great flows. You hang on every word, um, you know, all of these things. Along with beat selection, I think that he is great at sequencing. Um, and to start with Champagne Poetry is one of the things that he got right with CLB. Um, and it's one of those songs that's Drake alone with his thoughts in real time. And it's, you know, it's one of those places that kind of confronts everything that's happening in the moment. I'd be really curious as to when this song was recorded. It's one of those that could have been made very easily like two weeks ago. And it's one that could have been made, you know, not two years, but two, you know, six months ago. Um, and, you know, I know that it's one that you added to the playlist. Tell me what, what you thought of it. Well, first of all, I'm going to clip that, that you just said about Drake being an excellent rapper, and I'm going to post that to our socials. <laughs> I'm also going to make gonna put it, my address on there. I'm going to make it, yeah, I'm gonna make it a cold <laughs> open to this video. I'm going to put the new address on, not the old one. <laughs> so, um, Interestingly, man, um, everyone, including us, has been focused on 7 a.m. on Bridal Path mm-hmm. as um, the song where Drake disses Ye. Yeah. But I've found that on many projects, Drake, when he has a target, he disses throughout. Like he sprinkles in like lines throughout. Like it's like talk. Yeah. And this, th- there's something almost maniacal about this album. There's something really deep going on between him and Kanye because. Kanye is on several songs in this album. So he comes out blasting as Drake typically does. And this is like part of the formula. You know, Drake has done this on a number of projects where he comes out um, giving all the smoke. So, you know, more life, free smoke, literally yeah. free smoke on um, nothing. Nothing was the same. Tuscan leather. Uh, he just comes out rapping and uh, similar to champagne poetry. There's also a really potent beat change on that, too. And I want to talk about that in a second. But on this, he, he said the first lines he says is I've been hot since the birth of my son. Um, you know, and, you know, you can interpret that as hot as in like, you know, he's really dope or like people are checking for him. Could also mean he's angry um, because you know, people out at his son. Yeah. Um, but then to support that, he says, I remain unfazed 
trust, worse has been done. So, I mean, he's clearly now talking about the, the outing of his son by Pusha and, 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 and Ye, because he says that Ye is one who disclosed to Pusha that his son existed. He says, man, um, F evaluation, show me personal funds. So Kanye, as we know, has been super, um, uh, has, has been super aggressive about his place in the Forbes list. And a lot of that is predicated on his valuation of his Gap deal and his Adidas deal. So Drake is now, so F evaluation, show me personal funds. Yeah. You, I did, like, I mean, you telling me, you telling me that's not aimed at Kanye? I mean, like. hundred uh, percent. And then he says, it, he says it's the pretty boys versus the petty boys. The petty boys. Yeah. Man, come on, man. Like, I mean, so he comes out just like, blasting like from the outset on this song at Kanye but in the best Drake way possible I mean you know there's there's a time and place in hip-hop where subliminals are cowardly and there's a time and place where it's you know you do your own math and I can accomplish more without saying your name and I think that champagne poetry is that and the three bars that you mentioned you know are 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 great and I you know Drake has this ability he even says he does some of his best writing under the picture later in the album you know, Drake is phenomenal at writing bars that really work on social media. And he write he wrote these in a way that you guarantee you some Joe Schmo is going to apply these bars to whatever their rival, whatever their opposition is. It's brilliant. I mean, it's it's really, really good songwriting. And again, to your point, to begin a song with a, a break in the beat, two different beats, you know, that that shows you that even with Drake, it's still for sport like not just the sport of like, yo, I'm going to ride on my enemies, but the sport of like, yo, I really love this rap thing. And I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, like buckle up because this is about to be a ride is what I was thinking when I first heard it this weekend. Yeah, man. And, you know, you talk about um, when this was written. I think this was written probably some time ago. And I think that these were going to be the only bars that Kanye got, or, you know, just aside from a couple of jabs here and there until Ye released uh, Drake's address on social media. When that happened, I think he wrote 7 a.m. on Bridal Path, which is the other song that's like super barred up. And that song is very clearly aimed squarely at Kanye's head. Um, you know, so we wrote a piece about it. And we lay out the entire like, kind of record of, uh, you know, Kanye and Drake's beef. But I just want to read some of these lyrics, man, because, you know, we talked about their competition, about, you know, uh, them kind of going back and forth. A lot of their chatter has been about who's going to be bigger. Drake was saying aspirationally in the early 2010s that he wanted to be bigger than Kanye. And as time moved on, he started saying he was as big as Ye. And then he started talking about his pool being bigger than Ye's. And then eventually it became he was bigger than Ye. Right. And so Kanye. Um, I'm sure has felt a way about it. And just to go back to your point before earlier about have I ever seen another artist play in so many spaces in the rap game? Um, the only other person I can say who's played in, in spaces on that level is probably Kanye. If you think about it, um, you know, Ye has been like the backpack rapper. He's been the melodic rapper. He's done like full blown like ballad songs and in a lot of ways inspired like potentially Drake's whole sound, you know, on the ballad side with 808 and Heartbreaks. Concept and, rapper. 
Yeah. In a lot of ways, he might feel like Drake is like, you know, stepping in his lanes. And that might be why this he's really so triggered by this. But on this song, 7 a.m. Bridal Path. And first of all, you know, this is a, a patented move by Drake, too. When we talk about like the formulas he uses where he'll do a song with a specific time on a specific street or like address a journal entry or yeah, yeah or location 4 a.m and calabasas being one of the the biggest ones where he went at button and um puffy. and puffy and i think chris brown on that too got a got a job or two um but this one you know is for pusha and yay but i think mostly for yay so he says you over there in denial we not neck and neck it's been a lot of years since we've seen you come and correct like you know talking i think about a lot of the the seeming missteps Kanye has had in the public, you know, eye with like, you know, slave talk and MAGA support and things like that. And he says, man, effort of respectfully, I just want my respect. They try to label me mean. I say what I mean. Because Drake had been talking about, I think he had kind of like um, was suspicious of Kanye's mental illness claims. And then he said people that could have stayed on the team, they played in between. Um, he says some of these um, say what they mean. It ain't what it seems. Had to pull. Uh, then he goes, um, "You're hot, you you're hot to these little kids. You ain't famous to me. Told you I'm aiming straight at the head, not aiming to please. Um, I could give a f about who's de- designing your sneakers and tees. Um, have somebody put you on a, a gildan. You play with my seed. So gildan." It's a, t- a style of T-shirt and, you know, you play with my seed being uh, his son. He's going at him. But then, you know, later on, he talks about. He's saying, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dead you. Like, I'm going to put you on. Yeah, like, put you on a T-shirt. Right, t- t- yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and then uh, later on, though, he says, give me the address. Give that address to your driver. Make it your destination instead of just a post out of desperation. I mean, that is like just uh, that is like cutting and like that's real talk too like dude like come to my place talk to me don't put my stuff out there on social media but there's all sorts of shots on that song uh but what was your take when you first heard that yeah i mean you know drake has this ability you know since meek mill that of really handling himself um well against opponents and you know, we, you, you mentioned the Duppy freestyle. I, I thought that this was a really great last word without compromising the song. I think Drake does more as he did with Back to Back and, you know, his two piece with Meek, um, you know, in making a great record and throwing bars in there that people are going to come back and listen to and kind of remember their target. And, you know, both Kanye and Drake are very prideful and Drake does a very good job of, in my opinion, kind of showing Kanye his weakness and, and arguably humiliating or embarrassing him there um, in a way that is still, you know, tasteful. You know, it's not, it's not um, sending an address. It's, it's kind of calling out that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was, this is one of the better songs on the album, and I'm certainly glad you, you put it on our playlist. There was a lot of narrative there. Yeah. And so, you know, another song that, focuses i believe on kanye is no friends in the industry mm-hmm. where he talks about you know i had to draw the line between my brothers and my enemies um ends love to start the beef don't want to keep it rap um you know again he's he's getting to things that have happened with him and kanye not just recently but 
over the years, um, you know, the, the wars that they've had and, um, and obviously the stuff that went on with his son. So there's at least three songs where he's going directly at Kanye on this, um, you know, and, but this is the Drake, you know, aggressive rap portion. I'm going to tell you something, though, and I'm glad you bring up No Friends in the Industry. Absolutely one of my preferred songs on the album. I added it to my own, like, best of playlist that I keep running for any year. When we talk about Drake going back to his formulas, there are several places, and Drake has done this throughout his career, where I feel like he makes the same song twice. And you can accuse many artists of doing this. I mean, you know, the easy answers are like Nas doing Thief's theme and then coming back a year later, two years later, and making Hip Hop is Dead with literally the same beat just tweaked a little bit and making it a jam um you know you could i know it was posthumous but i feel like the formula for changes with tupac those around him just kept that same formula and did it until the end of time the no friends in the industry is non-stop part two i mean even the beat i i looked and i was like yo man if i was take keith who i feel like has become drake's best producer as of late i'd be upset because even down to the formula for the beat and dropping in the kind of three, six mafia style sample of the vocal and Drake in his bag, feeling himself delivering those penetrating bars like that. It's, it is a hundred percent. I mean, you listen to those songs back to back and you'll hear what I mean. And one of the things that's interesting about CLB is Drake does this too, where, you know, we talk about checking boxes. It's deeper than just genre of like, I'm going to sing on this one. I'm going to give you melody on this one. I'm going to give you world music on this one. This is a part of the album where he goes full on Memphis. I mean, there's a reason why Project Pat is on Knife Talk. And I know it's 21 Savage, but 21 Savage is also a derivative, even though he's ATL by way of London, um, he's a derivative of that Memphis sound. And Drake does this where he kind of goes from Toronto to Houston to Memphis. You know what I mean? And it's again, it's one of those things that I feel in his mind and laying out this album he thought was a real kind of conceptual artful thing to do but in the end it leaves the total package of 20 songs a bit disjointed yeah i agree with you and he he went to memphis on um or at least h-town um but it might have been a memphis sample it was definitely h-town uh on TSU. um on um the, the first mix so far gone oh yeah, you know, yeah the sure. chopped and screwed joint you know um yeah I, I can't remember what the song but like you're right. He does this. He does this quite a bit. And when you said he's making the same song again, I thought you were going to you meant thematically because no new friends, you know, with uh, Khaled, yeah. very similar kind of messaging, you know. And so one of the things I was wondering, though, is that one of the beauties of and you, you alluded to this earlier of not naming names is that it can be intended for multiple people. And just like Royce gave Mickey Fax that line about sonships even though it wasn't originally intended for him, I think that uh, Drake is letting people, um, you know, interpret and wonder if it's them. So who are some other potential targets for this? You know, I was thinking as I listened to the album and, you know, over the years, you know, I feel like Drake has gotten to a good spot, certainly with Meek Mill. I feel like he's gotten to a good spot with Tory Lanez. I don't know the latest of that. You know, one of the people that I know has been um, outspoken against Drake, if I'm not mistaken, is Sauce Walker, who is one of the, you know, like the West Side Gun of Houston right now. I mean, has a whole movement and is continuing to pop up interesting places at the moment, pops up on West Side Gun's album. Um, you know, he's been critical of Drake for kind of exploiting um, elements of Houston sound. 
I'm trying to think what else. Who else comes to your mind? Well, I think Push is definitely there too. You know. Um, yeah, and you, and you had mentioned that, but you know, it's sort of like the um, you know the Jo felonies or the prodigies against Jay Z, where he's like, you only get half a bar, f y'all. Like there is an element of that to Drake, where there's he has a lot of people that talk shit, and I, I truly believe that even though Drake is at this meteoric status, I believe he reads a lot. I believe, and and Kanye used to do that too. Drake is very aware of what people are saying about him. And this could just be, you know, at critics or at bloggers or at whomever. But, you know, because Drake's always made some of his best work with a chip on his shoulder. Yeah. You know, uh, and you mentioned those guys. So the interesting thing to me, though, is that even though it's called No Friends in the Industry, Drake does have friends in the industry. And he's actually gone out of his way to reestablish friendships in the industry. So you mentioned, you know, Meek, and he did the same thing with Chris Breezy. He did that with Nikki. Uh, he's done it with Tory Lane. So interesting, you know, um, you know, which is true. Are these real friends or is it just that if you think about when he started, he went on that kind of peacemaking tour. Yeah. It was right after everything had exploded with Pusha and Kanye. And sometimes I think you can't have too many enemies out there. Sometimes you got to squash some wars uh, in order to like focus on other ones. So I don't know, uh, but I think, I think it's curious. It's, and it's, you know, with that said, too, you know, it's interesting that both Donda and CLB, you know, have Jay-Z features. And, you know, both Jay-Z's relationship with Drake is one of great fascination because these guys continue to work with each other. It seems like on a five-year cycle or less, you know, three to five. And yet so many times it seems like they speak to each other subliminally. And we all know, you know, that, that Kanye and, 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 and Jay have this very complicated big brother, little brother relationship. And Jay comes in right now as this peacemaker on both albums. And I wonder too, like, you know, as we talk about these guys competing for attention, for narrative, for all of that, if that was one of those things of, you know, oh, you cool with Jay, I'm cool with Jay too. Like, I don't know. It's it's just a it's a fascinating chess move in the grand scheme. Yeah, he's got Kid Cuddy on here too. And, you know, that was there, there are a lot of like passive aggressive things. So much is aimed at Kanye, though, which is just the fascinating thing to me. So since you mentioned Jay, let's talk about Love All. Yeah, that's his collabo with Jay. You know, he and Jay have done a few collabos over the years now. They did Off That. They've done yeah. Light Up, Talk Up. And my personal favorite is Pound Cake. I think that's one of Jay's best verses of last decade. Actually, I think that Jay pulled out. Um, aside from what he did on 444, I think his two best verses in the 2010s were with the Young Guns. You know, um, I think Pound Cake was one. And I think the the verse on Don't Kill My Vibe remix with Kendrick was just masterful. You know, I think that's where he's saying, look, you guys looked up to me, but don't think that I'm retiring anytime soon. Um, this one, though, I was kind of disappointed by, you know, uh, it, it actually kind of reminded me of another collab with Kendrick, the one that he did with J. Cole, um, Passion Fruit, um, you know, where it was the, the stage was set for these two like lyrical, like lyrical swordsmen to to like really just slice up the track. And instead, Kendrick just kind of like um, ad libbed and, and like, you know, sang the refrain on it instead of like giving a real verse. Um, Cole did his thing, but um, it was clearly not meant to be competitive at all. And on this one, Drake doesn't rap, you know, um, he, he sings like, and, and, and Jay's verses not super lyrical either. So 
what do you, it really, I was disappointed when I yeah. heard this and I've listened to it several times now. I still haven't caught it, but what do you think? I mean, I think this song itself is symbolic, you know, what Jay's talking about of like, you know, love prevails, like peace prevails, which is funny given the things that we're talking about on this album. But based on what you said, and this is something that you and I have always disagreed on, I I think that the Jay-Z Drake canon of collaborations has been widely disappointing. Um, you know, I just... Even Pound Cake? I think it's a great, you know, I, great. I think objectively it's a great song. I wouldn't put it in my top 10 Drake songs, you know, and I wouldn't put it in my top 10 Jay features. Um, you know, I, I just, it it's funny to me and and, you know, people listening to this podcast might think I'm the meat and potatoes hip hop guy. So let me correct that by saying, I think the chemistry that Drake has with Rick Ross throughout the years or Wayne or Nikki is far more interesting than the chemistry that he has in the same song with Jay. And I feel that you, you make a point that I agree with is that oftentimes one, one will be on and one will be off. And yeah, this one was, was, was underwhelming. And in the same way that, you know, jail is, to me underwhelming if not for the fact that i think it's one of kanye's best beats and kanye and company because there's a lot of people that work on that song i think jay really rises to that occasion and it's great to hear him on a kanye and company production again um one of my highlights on donda but it's not a watch the throne moment to me um and jay is this guy that's coming on here with two like stamps of you know ceremonious features on two albums with guys that he has a complicated relationship with, but these are not, you know, groundbreaking moments. If you're looking for Jay on camera on a Welcome to New York City or Jay on the um, Diamonds of Sierra Leone, you know, remix, you're just not getting that. And, you know, it's it's disappointing. But for me, when I step back from CLB, you know, the place to the point I just made where I'm like, yo, this is an exciting feature is the joint with, with Rick and Wayne. Well, before we go there, you know, so the Jay thing, is interesting to me because lately he has been submitting his verses, I think, as late as possible so it could be as current as possible. We saw that on Judas and the Black Messiah, mm. where, you know, his song with Nipsey, he's talking about the, the, the Capitol building being raided. And that, that album was released like two weeks after January 6th, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, with Kanye, he supposedly recorded that song day of, of when it was premiered. Um, you know, sorry, not sorry. He has some references on there too that were very current as well. So I'm wondering if he followed that template with this, because if he did, and this was recorded recently, like within the last few weeks, then that's a super interesting move on his part, you know, because um, he knows the relationship and and the complications between him and Kanye, uh, Drake and Kanye, that is, he and Jay and Kanye have had, have been on the outs for years, um, you know, supposedly at least publicly and um, didn't put to rest that rumor until the verse. And by the way, neither one has come out and officially said that their, their, their relationship has been mended. Jay's on the album and he said, we, we're pulling them back from MAGA and maybe we'll need, need to do a watch the throne too, but neither one of them has publicly made a statement about it. Um, but what, what message do you think, Jay is signaling both to Drake and to Ye in doing this. I think it's the same thing that we may end up talking about regards to Andre 3000. I think, I think Jay is showing his neutrality and his individual relationships with both artists, you know, and Jay, 
you know, has done that. You mentioned the campaign that Drake made where he pieced it up with Meek. I think it was in Boston or it might've been in Philly, you know, uh, three years ago. Um, you know, Jay has done that with Dame, you know, like there have been multiple times where him and Dame will catch a flick together and, you know, piece it up. And then Dame is the one that goes right back and, and usually slanders Jay in some way or gets asked a question and answers it, you know, very, very bluntly. And I think this is Jay just like, you know, kind of checking in with both like, like, Hey, let's turn the page on that. Cause the next time Jay does do press, I don't think he wants people to focus on what's five years old, you know, to the same real time point. So that's all I make of it, but it is, I can't imagine why, you know, you know, that, that Drake didn't rap on that song. Like, like we talk about the competitive spirit, you know, that can make history, you know, that can be the one that appeases the people like me that feel like those collaborations have never lived up to their potential. And instead, you know, Drake, who I'm sure could have texted Jay or called him and like, yo, I want to rap on it. Can you clear it when you hear it? I just want you to be cool with it. I'm not going to go at your man. And he doesn't do that. Um, so it's, it's a bit curious. Yeah. I, I think though, I want you to go back and listen to pound cake, man. I'm going to send that to you as a song of the day soon, because um, Drake rapped on that. He rapped on that for real, you know, talking about like, um, you know, his insecurities in high school and like um, he'll go back and he should like, he'll take his revenge by putting, making everyone go through security, like, and just all sorts of stuff. He's, he's, he's biographical and he's rapping too. And, and Jay is biographical too. He's talking about all the people he's made millionaires and is, you know, flexing like that. And so, um, you know, they're both like really, I think, showcasing like their their A level games there and conceptually too, but not on this one. And to your point, I think that him doing this, Jay doing this as close to the deadline as possible, is showing in um, the quality of the bars because they're not to me um, A level Jay Z bars. I think the best one of the bunch was the Judas and the Messiah one. Mm -hmm. um but um you know because that one was political and substantive but but um i haven't heard a, a, a j verse that blew me away this year so far i agree with that i think you know the one you just mentioned is close but i've, I've yet to for an artist who has literally made you know three dozen songs that i would consider you know absolute perfection you know maybe far more i'm, I'm just shooting from the hip with that yeah, I've yet to have that moment. And, and that was one of the things, too, is, you know, before we talk about um, You Only Live Twice, you know, one of the best songs of the last three years was Sicko Mode, in my opinion. And again, even though it was on Travis's album, you know, it was peak Drake feature, um, just an incredible production came out. I didn't even realize it. So Kanye kind of went on that point of just how subliminal Drake's verse could be. And then to follow that up with Fair Trade, well, I love the writing of the hook of, you know, that's a fair trade of losing somebody that's not adding a lot of value to your life. I thought that collaboration was giantly underwhelming from one of the most exciting duos, you know, of, of that moment. And after, you know, one of the things we neglected to talk about is the day or two days before release, Drake put, you know, OVO put up billboards in every city that a guest was on and kind of rolled out the track list that way, or not not the track list, but rolled out the guests. And, you know, I think he said, uh, Houston, your king is on CLB, which, you know, people could say, oh, is it Scarface? Oh, is it, you know, so-and-so? It's, um, you know, it's it's Travis. And I, I thought that that was one of the more disappointing moments on the album. Yeah, 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. So you want to go to um, the Ross and, and Wayne collabo? Yeah, I mean, to me, I think that this, you know, this is the more exciting, most exciting feature, I would say. I mean, Ross and Drake's, you know, history, both of these guys individually just goes back, you know, a dozen years, maybe more. I mean, certainly with Wayne Moore. And I just thought this was great. And, and you know, Drake has this ability, and we saw this on the, um, the I know Green's in the title. What's the joint with Nikki, Drake, and Wayne? Seeing Green. Yeah, seeing Green. Like, to me, one of, one of the, the more impressive kind of unexpected joints of this year, um, Drake has this ability of bringing, in my opinion, the best out of Wayne in particular. Um, and, and you may have some insights as, as to that. I feel like these guys can be brothers, but be super competitive. And Ross just sounds good, um, you know, on the song too. To me, if there's five songs of the 20 on CLB that I really kind of will take with me, um, this is absolutely one. And on paper, again, uh, you know, just being a fickle fan, I would have thought Jay, I would have thought Travis. Um, I might have even thought Ty Dollar Sign. But, but to me, this is, this is a highlight. And to what we're talking about, it's bars on bars. Yeah, man. To your point, for a while, I thought that, especially when the the ghostwriting rumors started to surface, I went back and started thinking that Wayne was writing for Drake in the early days. Because you listen to songs like HYFR, um, their cadences are exactly the same. And Drake is using sports metaphors in the same way that Wayne does. And there's a lot of similarities there. Um, you know, it could easily be that you know, just like Kendrick was influenced by Wayne, obviously Drake is going to be too. And so on the same track, and you hear this with the game a lot too, you know, rap like the dude who yeah. rapping on the track with. But it always um, was interesting to me. So this this track was another disappointment to me uh, because mm. I love the Ross and Drake body of work. They've just got so many like tough joints, including, um, you know, their most recent one, Lemon Pepper Freestyle. And on that one, Drake went for like 32 bars or something like that. And he just blacked out. Um, Ross's verse was good too, but I thought Drake's was like spectacular. And they have, you know, obviously uh, Aston Martin music and like, they've got a lot of classic joints over the years to the point where people said they should make a, a, a collabo album. Mm-hmm. And this one just felt kind of lackluster to me. Um, Drake had some good lines, you know, he said, not sure if you know, but I'm actually Michael Jackson. The man I see in the mirror is actually going platinum. That brought a smile to my face, yeah. given arguments I've made uh, about the two of them having similar commercial um, status in their respective eras. Um, but I thought that of the three, Wayne definitely had the standout verse. Agreed. Um, you know, that, that, that I definitely agree. But um, I was expecting more from Ross and Drake, just given their past performance. I expected more from Drake on it. I thought it was a case on the album apart from Jay where the guests, you know, really may have gotten him. But I feel like, you know, especially given that it's Wayne and Wayne is still, in my opinion, amid kind of a reclamation of his greatest rapper alive, self-proclaimed status. And we got a few splashes of, of greatness on Carter five. I thought it was kind of like the alley-oop moment, you know, as far and as. I, you know, and I got a, oh. I got a theory on this too, that another bar on that. Uh, I think may be a, a reference to the the title, uh, mm-hmm. Certified Lover Boy, and the cover because we haven't even talked about the cover. The cover being, you know, a, a bunch of memes uh, or um, emojis of pregnant women of all sorts of varieties. Um, 
he says on, on this song, I had to F a lot of girls to get a kid like this. Um, so on the one hand, like it's a, it's a, it's a not so humble brag, but on the other hand, it's like really him big up on his kid and basically saying his kid is perfect. And it took a lot to, to, you know, to get to this, get to a kid like this. Um, so if you think about it that way, it's kind of a dope, it's kind of a dope concept for, for the title. But did you think that, or am I reading too much? Yeah. Into it? yeah I mean, I, I like that line. I've interpreted the cover since the album's come out and since I've listened to it to also interpret, you know, Drake suggesting he's fathered a lot of styles, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, there's, there's this sense of like, yo, I'm, I'm your, I'm all your fathers. And especially when you have, you know, um, Poppy's home, you know, being the second song on the album and the fact that he goes with that title, you know, is, is very curious. And, you know, again, just to bring it back to the Kanye thing, like part of me wonders, um, you know, uh, did, you know, there was this thing of like, did 808s and Heartbreak create the lane for Drake or was what would Drake was doing in the mixtape game and what a few other artists did that, was it a case of Kanye seeing what's happening in the underground and making that change? You know, none of that is plays out literally on the album, but when you start to talk about the fathering styles angle, it just it does make you wonder, you know, for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, all accounts say that Kanye and T Pain working together on um, "Good Life" is what inspired 808, 808s and Heartbreak, you know. Um, and I, and I believe that came out a year before "So Far Gone." So it did, it did. Yeah, so I, I'm gonna give that one to Ye, um, and maybe that's the chip that Drake has got on his shoulder is that. You know, just like Kanye feels a way about Drake stepping in his lanes and surpassing him in those lanes, maybe um, Drake feels a way about knowing that Kanye was the guy who influenced and inspired him and he might not ever be able to get out of that shadow. You can never, like, you know, outshine your father, even if you become more successful. So I don't know. It's interesting. But, like, sticking on the Kanye thing, the other shot there that that felt kind of overt was IMY2 his song, which features Kid Cudi. So now uh, not only does he go with Jay, Ye's big brother, he's got his little brother too. And a guy who a lot of people believe uh, was the influence in Ye's style back then, um, you know, was Cudi, you know. Um, And this is a peace offering because Cudi and Drake have had problems before. Yeah. So how do you think this happened and what, and what message is Drake is Drake still in it? And, you know, Drake, again, one of the narratives that is going on between him and Kanye is that Drake has repeatedly said that Kanye drives talented people out of his camp because he's threatened by their talent. Hmm. He said that about Virgil Abloh, um, and um, and that's why Kanye put Virgil and Drake on the text together. Um, and, you know, I don't know what Kanye's status is with Kid Cudi these days, but, you know, um, I thought this was a real interesting move. Well, and I don't want to jump ahead, but one of the things that if, if we're taking Kanye at his word with another song that has since come out after both of these albums, Kanye was, there was on a text with, with Virgil as well as Cudi. Um, so maybe Kanye was trying to just, I, and Drake even alludes to this on the album, like make peace. And it's still, the, the, the beef still lingers beyond the kind of the, the moment. Um, so I think on, in Drake's world, this is piecing it up with Cudi. Um, I do think there's a little bit of like a, you know, I'm going to, I know I can play to your paranoia and I know that I can, you know, this will bother you. 
Um, because obviously, even at, if Kanye tried to initiate that, it didn't end well. Thus, Pusha T being added on the text, if that is what that's in reference to. Notably, Cuddy is on um, Donda, you know, in a prominent role, as is The Weeknd, which is kind of, you know, some could argue Drake's Cuddy, you know, like his man, even though they weren't on the same label, Drake helped bring attention and shine to The Weeknd. So I think it's interesting. The one thing I'll, I'll say about the song, though, is it's one of my least favorite on the album. I don't think musically it delivers um, much at all. I was really disappointed with the, this one as much as I appreciated Cuddy on Donda. Same here. So since we're going with disappointing songs, let's go back to the you know, to the track list. So Champagne Poetry and Poppy's Home, I thought was a really strong start. Both songs, mm-hmm. dope tracks, Drake is rapping. But then he goes into his kind of melodic, melodic rap section. And like, you know, it's it's almost like a DJ who is not like letting you kind of not sequencing, you know, enough to give you momentum. Like, you know, it's like going from one genre to the next, like song after song, instead of yeah. four or five joints in one and four or five in another and so forth. Cause by song number three, you get to the melodic rap portion and you've got his song girls want girls with little baby. You've got in the Bible with uh, give you on a little dirt. You've got the Jay-Z song where Drake is assuming the melodic rap um, part. Then you've got Fair Trade with Travis Scott. And then you've got Way Too Sexy, you know, where Future is like doing a right said Fred kind of like, um, you know. That's the pop joint. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with Future and Young Thug. So and then and you got another In Too Deep with Future, just like, you know, a song after that. Like uh, so Those are the two Houston songs, TSU yeah, and In Too TSU Deep. TSU. So, OK, so you got but you got a pretty long block of melodic rap and like. So given that Drake's audience, I would assume is primarily people 35 and younger, you know, maybe 30 and younger. This is probably the lane where he should be playing the most because it's still the dominant uh, sound on the charts and um, is where he's going to get the most run. And I'm curious to see um, and look and see, you know, how these stack up in terms of um, in terms of streams. Well, it's worth noting. Too. I mean, on release weekend, the first video we've gotten from CLB is way too sexy, which kind yeah. of it falls in line with the initial knee jerk take on what this album could mean based on its title. And, you know, what's funny is I don't hate the song, but it is not the lane I want from Drake. And I, I kind of feel like it's it's Drake making a record that my mom will hear on Good Morning America you know oh man okay no, like, I'm, I'm not dissing but like <laughs> that's the joint that will be the you know the the hotline bling you know what i mean and, and i liked hotline bling a hell of a lot more than i like this nah, i don't yeah this just isn't as melodic or catchy for me but like uh you know but i do like into deep a lot and it's interesting because he and future have a, a chemistry a pretty strong chemistry too obviously they've done joint albums together um you know he he references future as a friend that he can trust on yeah. um, no friends in the industry um you know they've worked on projects together like top boy where they've executive produced and i think there's another show they've executive produced together so he and future have a bond that transcends music and but you can hear it within the music um it didn't translate for me on way too sexy but in too deep yeah i liked i liked in too deep i liked i thought it was really interesting and drake takes these liberties as a artist where he basically loops get throwed uh, you know by um by you know the jay-z and uh and and Jeezy joint um Jeezy or Bun B excuse me um you know I think Bun B and 
and takes that takes that track and you know he did that throughout um you know his playlist a few years ago and you know what's interesting too is you know a lot has been made of the samples on this album but you know one of the other songs that i really liked is the remorse and if i'm not mistaken you know that is like one second sample of who shot you or the original the and I'm like, he's got, he's got a couple of big, he's, he got another biggie line and he's got previously on ready to die. This starts out the Jay-Z song. I'm like, wh- where's that going? But yeah. Super stylistic, but I like the yeah. fact that Drake takes those liberties and can do things with his budget and with his access and his profile that either an underground artist can do and hope they don't get caught, but no artist on, on Drake's level, you know, seems to do. And I thought that was interesting. I agree with you. The future in Drake chemistry is hundred percent alive on into deep. And, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not in Drake's catalog. Their collaborative album is one of my least favorite, but in recent years, just a, a few times that they've kind of crossed paths. I see it. I believe it. And I, I really maintain that it's authentic, that, that chemistry. Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of lost me from tracks two, really until, you know, so from, um, from or after three girls want girls all the way up until probably in too deep. Um, you know, the yeah. fair trade was okay, but it doesn't stand out to me. I agree. With that you. was interesting just because, you know, again, it's, you know, aggressive lyrics, a song that did stick out to me on a few levels. One, I thought it was musically amazing is Yeba's heartbreak. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's, that's the world music kind yep. of like um, joint. And uh, that's the more life Drake. That's grown, yeah. That, that yeah, that's grown on me, and I, that's one of my favorite Drake projects. But like one dance, and like um, um, you know, there's a few joints like that. Um, uh, but what's really interesting to me is that there is no Drake vocal on it. Right. Um, it's it's um, it's Yeba. And have you had you ever heard of Yeba before this? No. But to your point as well, I mean, Drake is who put me on to Weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Drake, you know, put me on to Skepta. Drake, like I, you know, for as much as I'm into hip hop, there's times where I'm just not up on shit otherwise. And Drake has been phenomenal at putting on somebody, you know, he's got a Charlotte Day Wilson sample on here. Um, yeah. So, no, that's the long answer to a short question. I was not. No. Yeah. It was really, really interesting to me. So, that stuck out, and but then after that, man, um, the the last one that really kind of jumped at me was the remorse, and this again mm. checks checks another Drake box. You know, Dr- Drake has a habit uh, of like ending his songs with deeply personal, um, autobiographical records. So his albums, I should say. Um, so Scorpion, we talked about March fourteenth where he discloses, like, he reveals the existence of his son and, and you know, the back and forth that he had with his son's mom and, like, you know, the the inner conflict he had, all that stuff. Um, same thing on Do Not Disturb on More Life. Um, Pound Cake, we talked about that, how personal he gets on that with uh, nothing nothing um, was the same. This is another joint like that. Um, and so... You know, I just think it's interesting that he has this formula. It works for him. It's almost like, I guess, a mixtape DJ who's got a formula that 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 person uses again and again, or a DJ who's playing a party set. But um, it's definitely a formula. But what what did you think of the remorse? Yeah, I mean, I hundred percent agreed, and it's one of those songs. You know, Drake kind of wants the last word on who he is, and I think you know, you you kind of 
returned my memory to it because initially I was like, you know, they sound nothing alike and the presentation is nothing alike, but this is another started from the bottom type record of Drake taking you back to his hunger pains and his struggle years. Um, but I think, I think Lemon Pound Cake is a better example of that, especially given the sequencing. But yeah, I mean, he wants to remind you that this is his dream, that he's worked hard for it. And that, you know, and I find this a lot, you know, um, he's one of those guys that doesn't want you to think he's a silver spoon person, which is, again, one of those things that I feel like Pusha T in particular has kind of jabbed at him with of like, yo, you were an actor, you were this, you were that. And Drake takes that information and reminds you that he's he's put towards this position. And I think that, you know, when I said tent poles, another, you know, if there weren't some highlights in the middle of the album, I would say it's very well bookended. Um, and well, you know, I don't like I Am Y2 with Cudi. This is one of the strongest joints on the record. And it's one of those places that um, I feel like is as good a place to end as any for Drake in this collection of songs. Yeah. So not a perfect album, right? And definitely not a classic album. And uh, do you think that Drake cares or do you think he cares more about the commercial success? You know, to me, he seems like a competitive dude, you know, hence this back and forth. This, what is, like I said, is almost like a maniacal competition with, between the two of them now, mm-hmm. not just on one side. Both sides seem to be really over the top with this now, just yeah. with the level of attention that they've, they've uh, devoted to it. So Drake is clearly a competitive dude. You know, you see that in the the bars he he, he trades with Jay. You know the you know the the beefs he's had. He's never been one to stand down. Uh, I applaud him for that. Anytime someone comes at him, he comes back at them often uh, twice as hard back to back. He's not approaching Kendrick in terms of critical acclaim, not remotely. You know, he can talk no. about the commercial side, but Kendrick, you know outshone him with damn uh, commercially that year but on the critical side there's there's no comparison you know the grammy nominations the pulitzer the things like that can i you know and obviously this is a new album for both of us can i go out on a ledge with a question to you and i don't know if it's a line that stuck out to you because it could be completely out of context yeah but there is a line on clb and i don't off top know which song where he talks about you know he's speaking to the person he says second half of the tour it's as, as if to imply that he created an opportunity for somebody to open i might be reading into it too much but i certainly thought that you know there is a there is a competitive tension going on between kendrick and drake and it's one of those things like sticko mode where i'm curious to see if in time that is a bar sort of like your mickey and royce point of like yo was that aimed at drake or excuse me aimed at kendrick who you know these guys were on the club paradise tour together and i believe that was that was drake's tour and kendrick became you know the 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 very 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 prominent opener in it i don't know was that a bar that stuck to you or am i reaching um i don't remember that bar but it wouldn't surprise me if it was aimed at kendrick he's definitely gone at kendrick in the past you know there's a song i can't remember what it is but he says if only if i was conscious i would have all of your fans you know Mm. um he definitely uh has gone at kendrick and he stated very publicly after control that he was uh disappointed by you know kendrick's approach to that song and thought they were homies and stuff like that. So there's definitely, but you know, for me, it's like, okay, cool. Like, but I want to see it musically. I want to see him yeah. craft that album that's designed to win album of the year, not just for hip hop, but album of the year period. You know, I want to see him 
get that five-star album. I want to see him do that unabashed classic, the critical darling, the one, you know, the one that's on at tops every person's year end list yeah. in terms of like quality. I know he has it in him, um, but I, I'm curious as to whether or not he cares. Uh, um, and do you think he cares? Or do you think uh, I do? And I didn't. You asked the question a moment ago, and I didn't answer. I absolutely do, and I think your comparison early in this conversation of Tupac is such a good one, because you know Tupac had the benefit when we talk about controversy, and you know not publicity, not stunt, but you know what I mean. I mean Pac coming out of jail with all eyes on me, and Pac in jail for me against the world were such game changers to the perception of those albums that I don't think that people realize in time. And I think that both of those albums, while they're great, well, I love both of them. You know, we had run a headline years ago that all eyes on me is the last flawed classic album. And I think it's classic beyond the merits of what it is. It's a, it's a touchstone of what 96 was like. Um, and I think that Drake needs that. I don't think that Drake has the thriller in his discography. And I think for a guy who has made, you know, been on the billboard charts like every day of the year, you know, for the last, you know, dozen plus years, he doesn't have that single body of work that will be his Abbey Road, that will be his Illmatic, you know, pick a great artist. And I do think for a guy with all of this wealth, all of this popularity, all of this acclaim, that is one of the top driving forces in why he does what he does. Yeah. You know, so usually this is a time when we would kind of rank the album in terms of Drake's catalog. But, you know, to my point earlier, for me, at least, there's nothing was the same, which is, I think, at the top of the pile. I would put Take Care below that and probably significantly below it for me. And then ironically, um, everything is the same for me after that. You know, because uh, I think they're very similar albums in terms of their formulas. Uh, more, uh, more life, I would put up there too. I don't even know if he counts it. You know, he calls it a playlist. Yeah. But to me, that's a just a phenomenal project as well. But but everything else, I believe, is kind of the same in terms of formula um, and, and sound and things like that. But what would you say? Man, Mercury must be in retrograde because you and I <laughs> never agree. I got it on a list right here. <laughs> it's like, right. On, my, on my scratch paper, nothing was the same as number one. Significantly less. Take care. Number three, more life, which is not the hip hop answer. I've always I always felt that that the word playlist makes sense because I feel like that's a DJ album the way that they kind of, you know, um, interpolate and sample and all of this songs. But to me, that's an album and a, and a, and a good one. Um, then I go Views, then I go Scorpion. And those two are kind of interchangeable. Um, I put this at number seven for whatever it's worth. Number six is Thank Me, Thank Me Later. And, and this, um, you know, as I said earlier, I'm not a huge fan of, um, you know, uh, What a Time to Be Alive. And I thought that if you're reading this, it's too late. And I just was speaking to my man, Mike, who's like, yo, and he's, you know, 15 years younger than me. He's like, that was the shit. To me, that was a giant disappointment, that yeah. record. Um, so that's, that's, I put this at number seven. And, and you know, um, it's, 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 it's five really good songs, maybe one or two great songs. Um, but there's a lot, of, a lot of filler in here. I have a list, as we talk about, of my, my running list of 15 albums of the year. And I have to tell you, this is not on my list right now. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I would put this Scorpions and Views on, on the same level. 
Mm. And then the other stuff below that, um, because there's probably five joints in here that I think are dope and that over time will become even better. And when you go back and listen to Scorpion, there's definitely easily five joints on that. I think on views, probably the same thing, you know, so I'm looking at it that way, but I think that because this has more songs that it feels like more, well, not more than Scorpion, but like um, Scorpion, I think has a, a higher density. It feels like more filler. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Cl- so clearly when we're both not putting it on our top 10 yet of, of the year, uh, if at all. So we can dispense with that. Let's just go to the heart of the competition. Kanye versus Drake. Which do you think is the better album? Donda. Donda, Donda, Donda. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with Certified Lover Boy, man. Um, I'm going to go with Certified Lover Boy only because, um, you know, Donda, the first 10 songs, I, I just feel like it's a sequence really well. But then it just becomes, you know, repetitive to me. And a lot of it's part twos and stuff like that. Um, and it's just so long that it's overwhelming and fatiguing for me. Um, I didn't get that feeling from Drake. I've listened to it like a few times and I will go back and keep listening to it. And I'm sure that more songs will open up to me. But just from a density perspective, um, I think it has a higher percentage of quality songs than Donda does. I think, you know, Drake has better rapping on his album. I think this is one of the more disappointing albums for beat selection from Drake, who I feel like in the last, you know, from views, you know, I I think nothing was the same. There's a reason why we both agree that's his best body of work, but I feel like from that point, he's been in a really good space with beat selection. And I feel that this was a step down. I'm really disappointed with the rapping on Donda. Um, And I think for Kanye being a trendsetter, um, I'm, I'm starting to realize why he chose Mercedes-Benz Stadium and really positioned himself in Atlanta. And he has all of these artists that are either from Atlanta or stationed in Atlanta on the album. He kind of tapped into a movement that has been going on for some time. That said, um, you know, Jay has, you know, Jay, Jay's verse I really like on the album. Probably... The Locks is my favorite rapping on the album. Shout out to Griselda, though. Shout out to Jay Electronica. Um, but but Kanye's own rapping, the, it's not, not there for me. The production of that record is incredible. Um, and Kanye, and, and shout out, you know, to the list of people that he works with. I was so happy to see 88 Keys all over that album. I thought 88 Keys brought so much to watch the throne, you know, on the beat side, on the two or three joints he was involved with. So to see him now in the current ensemble and obviously your, your usual suspects of, of Mike Dean and, you know, so on and so forth, um, that album sounds really good to me. And it sounds really good to me in the car and it sounds really good to me, you know, with a good sound system at home. That's why I give it the edge up. And, you know, my expectations for Kanye in terms of rapping have changed a lot since Pablo, um, which was which was a record I really enjoyed of his. But, yeah, that's that's the difference maker to me. Yeah, man. Um, you know, Kanye hasn't rap rapped consistently throughout an album, in my opinion, since my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. Mm. And part of that could be because um, he isn't a writer himself, you know, or he, he doesn't write a lot of his own material, I should say. Um, and Sci High, we know, is just a beast and his pen game was on 10 on that album. And I think that um, them not working together consistently has changed uh, Ye's rap style. I think Ye is also 
adopted the melodic rap or, you know, or potentially he followed it, you know, and he's just gone back to it. Um, And so, so yeah, but I missed that part of Kanye because I like when Kanye raps to me, you know, even if you don't write it, there are just some dudes who, when they rap sound great, you know, Um, Dre has always been a great sounding rapper. Great voice. Yeah. So his cadence is he's like in the pocket and unbelievably. So, Yay, when he raps, can rap. I mean, like, so um, I missed that part of Kanye, but no disagreement. It's sonically a, a really nice album. Uh, I do wish it was shorter. Um, yeah. You know, but, you know, so, but before we close on this, there's one or there's another piece that unfolded. Well, can I can I do one thing? I mean, are you comfortable? Uh, <laughs> I'm, showing, I'm showing you this. Yeah, you know, I like that. People man. at home, because this is going to get relevant. What, what were you going to ask me? Are you, have you listened enough? Are you comfortable enough to give a numeric rating to either of these albums? I am. I am. Um, you know, so for Drake, I would give Certified Lover Boy a seven right now. Donda, I would probably give a six or a six and a half. Mm. What about you? Man, I picked the like, this is the first time because I've always worked on a five scale, but I did like the straight up decimal thing. And it's funny, the number that I gave CLB is 6.9, you know, and the number that I gave Donda is 7.4, um, you know, and, and, you know, we'll end up having a conversation at the end of the year regarding a whole hope of whole heap of albums. But uh, yeah, man, I'm sorry, because that's a that's a great T-shirt, man. But I wanted to ask and state that much. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So. Uh, over the weekend, it got even spicier, and another um, legend was drawn into this 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 exchange this this battle now between Kanye and Drake. You want to break it down since you wrote the story? Yeah, man. I uh, and and I you know I've thought a lot. Our our, our headline is Andre three thousand reacts to being to getting dragged into Drake and Kanye West beef. And I don't know if anyone's ever had this feeling with posting something on social media or sending a text, but you write something, you share it, whether it's one person or it's, you know, 50 million people, and you wonder if it's accurate. You know, I think we've all been there, you know, in relationships or whatever, where, you've, where that hasn't been the case. And I truly believe that Andre 3000 was dragged into this. So during the July 18th Las Vegas private listening of Donda, you know, this has been a real-time album. There have been multiple iterations of the album. Kanye played a version of this song. It's called Life of the Party, not to be confused with a great little brother song of the same name. Um, and it had three stacks on it. And since then, um, more recently, post Donda's release, a snippet you know, surfaced online. Um, then in the ultimate, you know, makes you wonder pretty boys versus petty boys, Drake played the entire version of the song on his Sirius XM radio show. Um, the song, what's interesting about that is while Andre 3000 is using his lyrics to address his late mother, which was a loss that was very personal to him. Um, Sirius Outcasts and, and Three Stacks fans may remember um, him speaking about that in interviews and releasing songs like jazz songs, I would call them, um, at least one of them was kind of in her dedication and honor and the version that drake played features kanye using the opportunity to spit at drake 
um, which again kind of speaks to what I alluded to, you know, a little bit ago of, you know, yay, um, you know, sending a text that involved Virgil and Kid Cudi and it not going anywhere. Um, so Drake kind of shows the world what's on Kanye's mind, how serious this is. And in the midst of all of that, Andre 3000, who I think we can all agree is a bit of a recluse, not somebody who releases statements, puts out a statement and says, you know, I thought that this song was about our moms. I mean, this album was called Donda. Secondly, the version that I heard from Kanye had a different verse from him. I, it's unfortunate. That was the word he used. Unfortunate that I'm in, you know, I'm in the middle of this. And if anything, I, I want to work with artists I respect. And he even adds that he wanted to be on CLB, that he respects uh, uh, several artists, including Jay-Z and Kendrick Lamar. I thought that that was really interesting in the same way that, um, you know, the grudge match between Pusha T and Drake kind of pulled attention away from Daytona and Scorpion. I thought, damn, you know, here we are just hours in and this is already pulling attention away from what is actually on Donda and what is actually on CLB. Um, anything you want to add in there? I know I, I glossed over it. Yeah, man, I, I got a few thoughts. So. You know, one is um, there's been a lot of collateral damage in this battle between Gay and Drake at this point. You know, um, Drake's kid, um, you know, people around each of them, their artists. And now people are being, you know, trippy red potentially was manipulated. Um, you know, it sounds like Andre w was manipulated or if not manipulated, you know, um, they were both pulled into things that they didn't know about or necessarily want to be involved in. Um, you know, I think that both of these guys, Drake and Ye, got to be really careful because there are going to be more repercussions than just uh, ill feelings between them from the behavior that, that's happening. You know, um, like you said, Andre has been a dude who stays low key He's a hip hop ambassador. Uh, I don't recall him ever having beef with anyone. You know, um, you mentioned in the article that he made a statement about the South having something to say, but that wasn't disrespectful. That was him reacting to disrespect that Outkast was getting. So, you know, that's one. Um, two, it was interesting to me because I hadn't thought about it the fact that there are no curse words on Donda. And, you know, the reason why Andre's verse got stripped is because. He had some curses in it, and he said that he thought that um, he needed to, that it needed to be um, the way he originally wrote it for it to have the impact that he intended, um, which I thought was fascinating. What, what were you going to say about that? Yeah, I mean, I didn't necessarily interpret that properly because I thought the song didn't happen because Kanye swore in, in the song, but you're absolutely right. But it's interesting because the locks, I forget if it's, I think it's Chic swears and it drops out because when i first heard donda i was like oh no 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 i'm getting the edited version yeah only to come realize what what you just said so yeah. I, yours makes more sense though of andre that being the reason why the record doesn't clear yeah Ka kanye then taking the record you know adjusting it and we know like you know this is this is a different case than some that we've seen in hip-hop history because with kanye it's a living breathing thing but it is a little bit strange that he would take this song where three stacks verse has nothing to do with what Kanye is saying and choose that moment to kind of get another word in at Drake. Yeah. 
And so the third thing is that um, it was really interesting to hear Andre's list of people he wants to work with, right? That's that's an interview question people often ask. And uh, it was interesting to hear Andre volunteer. It. And it's, it's actually kind of shocking that he hasn't worked with Jay-Z, um, you know, and I would think that every single person that he named should be calling Andre 3000 in the next week or two to work with him. I hope there's time for him to be on Kendrick's album, although Kendrick's albums are so deeply conceptual it might not make sense for the album, but the two of them absolutely should be on the same record together. Cause I would argue that a lot of Kendrick's earlier sound was inspired by Andre. You know, you listen to don't kill my vibe and those harmonies are 100% like uh, Andre's harmonies, you know, and there are other instances, uh, sing about me. I'm dying of thirst. There's several instances where you can hear that Andre 3000 influence. I would even say Poe Man's Dreams, which we talked about, you can hear like, you know, in the way that he does the chorus. Yeah. Um, before the GLC part. Like, yeah. I mean, just that conversational kind of stutter step style, not, you know, where his flow, he could pull back and create a syncopation in his delivery. That's the, and the harmonies. All the way. And, and the, the cadence. Harmonies. Yeah. Yeah. The absolutely. Ability. Yeah. So. 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 And, and then, you know, Jay-Z, like, I mean. Andre and Jay, man, come on. And, and I hope that if that happens, they both rap, rap, yeah. you know, because uh, that would be a shame if that didn't happen. But, you know, that was that was it. And, and I guess the last thought I had is that I wonder what kind, you know, what Ye's response is going to be. You know, um, his manager, uh, Boo, had said to TMZ that if Drake did something on Certified Lover Boy, that Ye would uh, snap back. And yeah, it said that in the text chat. And now uh, Drake has taken this extra move of leaking his music. Although Kanye leaked it, I guess he played it himself. And I guess someone recorded it or something in Vegas. So I'm just curious as to how this is going to continue to evolve. It's been uh, a big story over the last um, few weeks. And, you know, when two of the biggest artists, if not two of the most, if you think about it, the only person, only rapper more successful commercially than than uh, Ye in, a, in the aughts was probably Eminem, you know. Um, and so you've got um, one of the if most that. successful rappers of the aughts versus his successor in the teens going at it. So um, it's a pretty big deal, you know. It is. One, one final question, just as we close out the beef conversation. Do you feel that this beef, take Pusha T out of it. Because I think I know the answer to that. Do you feel that this beef has advanced the profile or careers for either man? No, not at all. I don't understand it, really. I don't, because neither one of them needs it. You know, Kanye is a master at commanding attention. I I think that he is second only to Donald Trump in manipulating people to discuss him, whether it be the media or people, whether it be positive or negative. He stays like top of mind for people. Um, and you know, so I don't think he needs the extra attention that this might, might bring. Um, I don't think that it helps Drake either because Drake is the biggest, um, commercial rapper period that there is and maybe of all time. So like, he definitely doesn't need it, you know? Um, so no, I don't think it benefits either of them. And like I said, there's, there's now collateral damage. Um, and there's some stuff, you know, real, real, there's real consequences, you know, this affected Drake's son and, you know, revealing a person's house location is dangerous. Um, you know, yeah. and th- there's, there's real stuff going on here. So, 
No, nah, I don't think it benefits either one. But what about you? No, I, th- I think you said it. And these are two artists that have proven years ago, arguably in both cases, decades ago, that they don't need to be mentioned in, with anyone else's name. And yeah, I don't think that this has been, you know, a situation that's been especially good for hip hop. I don't think it's been very good for the music. I think it's been a distraction for both of them living up to their their great potential as artists. And just when you think it's going to end, you know, Godfather 2, they keep bringing you back. Yeah. Yeah, man. So I know we talked briefly about uh, West Side Gun. Anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, it's been an exciting time, um, you know, for music. Shout out to Gun. Um, you know, things that I've enjoyed in my own rotations. You know, shout out to Coney Island Battle MC Nems, Gorilla Nems. He put out a joint Congo that I've really been enjoying, um, you know, with the song Go Fish that, that kicks off the album. Um, Code of the Friend, who we've talked about on this podcast with Static Selector and other people, put out a Lucy 96 Bulls that I like. Um, you know, our guy Saigon worked with Benny the Butcher on a song I've really been enjoying called No Witness. And then just one other that I want to mention is, um, you know, we lost a great MC this year with Gift of Gab from Black Alicious. And uh, Nature Sounds is putting out an album that he had just finished literally in the final days of his life. And this Friday, this Friday, last Friday, a joint alchemy came out um, that I've really been enjoying. And it's it's crazy, too, because it's one of those cases where an MC was so prophetic and, you know, realizing I mean, he addresses his kidney disease in the song but talks about, you know, his desire to push on. And, you know, over the years, I got to know Gab a little bit, interviewed him, huge Black Alicious fan. Um, and I've really been enjoying that record. And it's one of those that I listen to um, a lot, just to kind of take audit of things and, and celebrate a true lyricist that I feel deserves a lot more credit than he sometimes tends to get. Word. Rest in peace to him. Uh, you know, the only other song that I would shout out is Luke. And this is a song you put me on, uh, his song, Myself, featuring Devin, D-E-V-N. Loot has been consistently one of my favorite artists out of that Dreamville camp. Such a talented camp, man. Um, I love a lot of the people Cole has assembled, um, you know, Earth Gang, uh, J-I-D or Jid, um, Boss, and Loot. You know, they all bring very different things to the table, all of them incredibly dope. But his song, Myself, um, I thought was great. So uh, with that, what would you say is your song of the week? Man, you know what? I'm going to give it up to a song that I sent you. It came out earlier this year called Fallen Leaves by an MC out of Maryland named Jay Tech that I just realized my, my great former colleague, Mike Trampy, is in the camp. I realized that after hearing the music and um, just really really dope you added it to our playlist which always makes me happy and uh yeah man that that's the joint yeah dope track i'm gonna give mine a family ties um baby king with with kendrick lamar um just became obsessed with that song just really really dope Uh, both artists uh, really did their thing and the beat is incredible or i should say the beats because it's got multiple beat changes so really really dope and the video is just incredible so yeah man that's a change that's the trend i'd like to see continue dope videos and beat changes in the middle of a song with mc staying in pocket how about yeah. that shout out man shout out to uh dave free kendrick baby king pg lang word word well until we do it again my friend yes sir man all right always a pleasure likewise peace later